edition of Terry's Talking after taking last week off. David Campbell, Terry Pluto. Terry, how are you? I was off last week. What did I miss? Nothing. <laughs> no, you missed NBA free agency. You missed never-ending speculation on Deshaun Watson. You missed the Guardians are really good, and then they got really bad. That's all. That's all. Well, let's get into some of this. Um, yeah, I was okay. I was able to get to Port Clinton for a couple of days, and that that was good, and got away from a computer, so it's always good to recharge a little bit. Hey, so the Guardians, man, two out of three to to the Yankees, they lost, and now heading into Wednesday afternoon's game, when we're taping this, they've lost three straight to the Tigers. This has been a grind, Terry. Three doubleheaders in seven days. Two doubleheaders in three days. It does just it, it wreaks havoc on the pitching staff, and it's just a, a long days for everybody, including um, Joe Noga, who's been covering the games for us. Uh, pretty tough grind here, is, and it's hard for a team, especially a young team like this, to battle through that. Well, it shows up your lack of depth and and that kind of. I mean, they've lost eleven out of fifteen is really their whole thing. Remember, after they won like ten out of thirteen, they've been team streak pretty much all year, David. If you think about it, um, and probably because of some of their youth. And I also think their starting pitching has not been as dominant as they hoped. And that's a way to get out of this. I mean, if you look at uh, what happened in Detroit, yeah, they didn't hit much, but they didn't pitch very well either. Now they didn't defend very well. I mean, a lot of that stuff. So uh, we'll just have to see how they play out of it. But when Jose Ramirez is not being Jose Romero. He has only one RBI in the last 18 games. That was going into yesterday. I didn't uh, uh, see what he did yesterday. Uh, and I don't care what he says. That thumb is bad. This reminds me a few years ago when he had a great first half and then he hurt his hand. And the second half of the year, he just didn't hit the ball very hard or anything. So I would – if I were them, I want to. I would go look at that thumb again, or, or rest them for a few days, or something. Whether well, he likes you know, it or you not, know Jose, he, he doesn't like to sit. He wants yeah. to be in there every day. It's like even getting him to take a, day, a regular day off when he's not injured is is a challenge for uh, for Tito, and so he, he's going to want to be in there. So, um, yeah, things got so bad last night, Terry. What was eleven to four, and Sandy Leon worked the final two innings. Yeah, <laughs> it's a position player pitching. Uh, and Joe and Noga like the, had this in his story. He dropped his ERA from 7.5 to 6.43 yeah. last night. So, <laughs> But they've used a position player in the last 10 games three times. I mean, yeah. that's just like you talk about team streak. They, when they lose, they lose big. And, and you, you you have guys like Sandy in there pitching. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I was just going to ask Terry, so they're four and a half games behind the Twins right now after, after last week's big series here against Minnesota. But can they recover from this? I mean, there's a lot of time left. Oh, sure, because I don't think the Twins are that good either um, because of their lack of pitching, and they they struggle. Uh, So, yeah, they can, but if you keep getting crushed by Detroit and then they go to Kansas City, that that makes it difficult. Um, But, you know, Jose's injury, I think, has impacted the lineup. And then, remember, Oscar Gonzalez. Now, he was cooling off some. But he was playing well, and he brought a lot of uh, energy to the to the team. And let's see what what was Oscar hitting when he got hurt. So when he got hurt, you know, Oscar was uh, hitting. Uh, let's see, he was batting yeah, pretty well. 
I will sell out. I'll tell you, I just flunked. We will get <laughs> Oscar's numbers in a moment. So I think he was up almost to 300. And I'm just really, you know, it's one of those things. We didn't know what to expect. I picked him under 500 for the year. And um, so I guess that's it. But, it's you know, we get our hopes up. And, and I have to admit, I'm a sucker for a young team that has, has real prospects, not just young and bad. You know, young with, with uh, uh, reason for hope. You know, my guy, Owen Miller, now all of a sudden he's, he's been in a terrible slump. And so it's just, uh, you know, you just really want to see the, the basically having patience. Yeah, and go back to Oscar Gonzalez. He's been 285, um, a 315 on base percentage, and a 431 yeah. slugging percentage. So you're yeah, right. Yeah, 746. You know, yeah. I found them finally, too. I mean, a guy had, how about this, you know, 123 at best. He had 12 doubles, a couple of homers. Uh, you also just knew when he was in the lineup, if you were facing him, yeah, you know, this is a guy that might hit the ball hard. Um, even lately, Stephen Kwan, by the way, is looking to me like he's getting worn down some. Uh, which has not been, you know, he's been able to hang in there and I mean, he's still batting 270, but you know, he is, he's, he's struggled some too. So right now it's just, it's just a big mess. Now the question you have to ask David is what do you do about it? Well, yeah, let's talk about that. And one guy we were talking about before we started taping here was Miles Straw and man, his batting average, he's below the Mendoza line. Now, Terry, he's down to 194. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And to have somebody like him, that you want to put at the top of the lineup who's struggling that much. It just, it hurts the entire offensive output when you have someone there who's not producing in that, in that top part of the lineup where he, where he should be. Uh, what, do you, what do you do with Miles Straw? What do you, what do you think they should do with him? About that is, you know, this is a guy that has had a fair amount of big league at bats. Um, it's, it's not as if, you know, he's got, okay. For his career, now his, his, his batting average is down some for his career because of uh, this season. But he has, he has 1,042 big league at-bats. Uh, career batting average, 246. In fact, if he's hitting 246 with an on-base percentage of 330, you take it. Um, but I'm looking at this. I mean, his last, his last 30 games, he's batting 124. And he, you know, he's, he gets some walks, but... I don't know what happened. I watched his his swing and that. It's not like you see a tremendous amount of flaws, but like when he hits the ball, it doesn't go anywhere. Uh, I probably they have all the velocity and those kind of things you look at. But you know, I mean, I was looking at um, you know his different time. He was, when he was with the Astros. You know, he's. I mean, the year the year the the Guardians traded for him, he had 325 at bats for the Astros. It's 2021. And he batted 262. Then he came here for the last 60 games and he had 285. You know, so that, that's it. And, you know, with Houston, he batted 269 in other years. So, yeah, it's, there's no reason to just write him off. But this is hard. I mean, he does have a minor league option. You know, do you send him to the minors? I don't know. That, that's a question they have to ask. Um, because then who plays center field? You just hate to see him looking so hopeless. Yeah, I mean, the, the Oscar Mercado reacquisition doesn't really play much into this because I no. mean, there's a reason that they, they let him go. And so there's not really a spot that, that, that he's, you know, they can put him in there, but they're not really going to gain much. Um, sometimes what you see the team do when guys are struggling, they'll drop them, they'll move them around the order, They've give them a day or two already. off. They've done that. Yeah. And, and anybody in the minor leagues you see, Terry, that you like that could 
could be a well, temporary the, solution for a week. The or big, two. you know, the big one that's playing well. He's not on the forty-man roster, so they'd have to make a move. But that's Will Brennan, and I did write about him a little bit in the spring in my notes because a couple times I saw him play. Um, you know, he just he reminded me kind of a little bit bigger physical version of 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 of, uh, of Quan. He made a lot of, made a lot of contact. College player, Kansas State, you know, seemed pretty mature. I mean, right now, wow. He's hitting 375 and 144 at-bats at Columbus. He's got 30 RBIs in 34 games at Columbus. And previously, he was hitting over 300 at Akron. Let's get his combined stats. He's 24 years old. He is playing center field. I don't think he's that good out there. But um, when you look at it, all right, how about this? He has 69 RBIs and 70 minor league games between Akron and Columbus this year. Doesn't hit a ton of homers, seven homers. Um, but the OPS is 934, batting 344. You know, for his career, he's an exactly 300 minor league hitter. So yeah. worth is it worth bringing him up? Yeah. For a short stint. I mean, we're a week and a half away from the All Star break here, Terry. Just to help give the team a little bit of a different. I'd rather have him than Oscar Mercado. Yeah, I mean, they know what Oscar Mercado can do at this point. Yeah. I think they like having him on the roster, but in terms of an everyday outfielder. Well, they're they're probably thinking Brennan's a left-handed hitter. You know, Mar- Mercado batted right, but um, I guess I would argue, so what. Um, it really depends on uh, on what uh, what you're doing. I'm, I'm looking at AAA. You know, uh, I'm sorry. Brennan is th- hitting 300 against lefties in the minors. So I don't know if you're talking about production. He's 24 years old. He played at Kansas State. He was an eighth round pick. Uh, you got to look at it. You really have to look at it. And just because he wasn't on those high prospect lists. Uh, much like Oscar, if you play your way on it, well, heck, Quan wasn't either. Let's let's go with uh, production. Now, I know some of the fans will want Nolan Jones, and he's played some outfield and first base. You know, he's been a hot prospect. He's sort of the opposite of those guys. He was a uh, top pick in the 2000 um, – he was in the second-round pick in the 2016 draft. Um, he's at AAA this year. Really, this is the first time. He started to show something in the minors where, you know, that uh, you could really get excited about because he, he started the year on the on the injured list. Like last year, for example, two, let's go to like 2021. He played the entire year. Triple A's Nolan Jones, batted 238, 13 homers, 48 RBIs, 787 OPS. Now, he was only 22 there, but still nothing to jump up and down. This year he was hurt in spring. And then um, – and then all of a sudden, you look at uh, this year, and he's uh, hitting, you know, 314 and uh, with a OPS of 935. So he's only at 86 at bats. I mean, that's the other option. But I'd rather go to Brennan and let Jones just play more. Well, it's really going to be fascinating, Terry, to see how they handle this next yes. week and a half. I mean, you, you're in a situation here where it could go from a four-and-a-half game deficit to eight and by the time you hit the all-star break and then you're really facing an uphill battle, if they can keep it around three to five games, 
they're in really good position going into the second half of the season. But this is a it's a pretty pivotal stretch. They have yeah. um, they've got four games at Kansas City. I'm sorry, they have a weekend series at Kansas City, and then they come back home for four against the White Sox and four against the Tigers, and then it's the All Star break. So that's that's 11 pretty important games right there heading into the All Star break. And I'm I'm really curious to see what they're going to do, Stan Pat, or mm-hmm. or bring somebody up for a look. Um, we shall see. So they should, on the they Guardians, should debate this. Brent is the guy that makes sense, David just because he's he's got a lot more minor league experience. Now, granted, uh, Nolan Jones is also 24, but as, as I said, his he's coming off the injury, and I just feel would feel much better about uh, them going with, with Brennan, who's older, and let Jones just play more. they got to figure out, the because Jones was originally a um, – a third baseman, you know, that's not where he's going to play. Now they're playing in some in the outfield and, you know, do you primarily right field? It looks like is what he's been playing. And so that's a, you know, that's a possibility there, but uh, I just, I, I liked Brendan when I saw him in spring training. Um, I've liked a little, just a little bit. I've seen of him. He looks just like a mature hitter. He might, as I said, he reminds me kind of a different version of Quan, a little bigger, but, but think about that. I mean, I don't really want to see Ernie Coleman play the outfield anymore. I know he's right-handed, and that's why they're doing it. But I'd rather see Will Brennan, even if it's against a lefty pitcher. I mean, so what? All right, Terry. Uh, last game in Detroit today, then Kansas City, the White Sox, Tigers, All-Star break. So we shall see what develops there. So, hey, let's mm-hmm. get into the Browns, Terry. Um, you got a really interesting question from a gentleman named Mark Goro last few days, and I wanted to kind of spend a few minutes talking about it here. He says, um, I believe GM Andrew Barry and coach Kevin Stefanski absolutely would have been on the hot seat this year if they didn't upgrade at QB. You don't want your ceiling to be the Tannehill-led Titans. Not a single person is picking that team to win the AFC because of their QB. Thoughts? And you kind of went into some interesting research about the Titans, what the Titans are, how they've done in the playoffs. And what does it mean to the Browns? Could the Browns, would the Browns have looked like that if they didn't try to upgrade it at quarterback? Talk about the Titans a little bit, Terry. Well, the big thing when you look at the Titans versus the Browns is the fact that the Titans are a lot better and have been better for the last three years. And they've been better really since uh, they put Ryan Tannehill in at quarterback and and benched uh, Marcus Mariota. I mean, how about this Tannehill, in his first six years with Miami, had a 42-46 and 46 record. You know, what? it's not always all on the quarterback, but that's significant. He goes to the Titans, plays in a very similar offense to what the Browns run. He, in regular season, 30-13, and 13, he's completed 67% of his passes. How about this? 20, 76 TDs to 27 interceptions. I mean, those are big-time numbers. But they struggled in the playoffs. You know, the first year they went to the conference finals, the last few years they get knocked out in the first round. And I'm sure in Tennessee, what are they saying in Tennessee, do you think? Not good enough. Not good enough. We just had a better quarterback. You get over that. And that's probably the case unless you have Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or, you know, a couple of these others. When you fall short, then you're just saying, well, the missing ingredient is another quarterback. And I mean, the Browns, maybe because of the one season they had, said that. Uh, but so they went there. But I, I don't believe because his thing st- his premise of the question was, um, do you think uh, they would have been, been on the hot seat if they hadn't done this? I mean, I guess maybe, you know, if it was a disaster, maybe uh, uh, 
Kevin Stefanski would. I don't think Barry would have. Well, it is. You're, you were saying before, it is kind of two separate questions, Terry. If you take the hot seat thing out of it, I, I, my, my thing that I'm curious about is, do you think Browns fans would have been happy if this was the Browns, where they go 9-7, and 11-5, and 12-5? I mean, they are very similar. I mean, yeah. the Titans are coached by Mike Vrabel, who's a Walsh Jesuit graduate, went to Ohio State, played at Ohio State. Tough running game with Derrick Henry, mm -hmm. which mirrors what the Browns like to do. Um, a quarterback who makes good throws, doesn't necessarily win games for you. Do you think Browns fans would have been happy being the Titans of these last few years, going 9-7, and 11-5, 12-5, making the playoffs, maybe not winning it? Is that is that not good enough here, too? Probably not, but I would have been pretty pleased with it. And so beyond that, what we're saying is that the Browns, and you wrote about this, Terry, a couple about a month ago, about they looked at what they were doing offensively and have decided to revamp their passing game because they realize with this quarterback, with this quarterback play and with this offense, they're not going to get where they want to go. Yeah. And so I that's mean, where it, we're at, right? I mean, that's one of the big differences is that, you know, <laughs> Baker's had – it's a weird career to judge Baker's because he's been in the league four years. 18, he's good as a rookie. 19, he's awful. 20, he's good, and they get to the playoffs. 21, he's awful. Now, you could say 21, he's awful because he was hurt. You could say 2019, he was awful because of Freddie Kitchens and just that stuff going on. But the fact is, it's been up and down. And where I look at Tannehill at Tennessee, he's had some playoff failures, but he's been good since he got in there. And then you sit there, if not Ryan Tannehill, I mean, we've been sitting here even for a while, if not Baker, who, and that led them on the, the pursuit of Deshaun Watson. Uh, so that's, you know, that's what's going on. And frankly, if you're Carolina, for example, and you got Sam Darnold, you know, I still hear they're trying to get Baker, you know, this, this, the never ending talks and Mary Kay's been writing that for a while. And I wouldn't be surprised if that happens, you know, before training camp. Um, and, you know, there is a, some talk about Seattle or whatever, but, uh, you know, because if you say never Sam Darnold, you go, I'll take a shot at Baker. You're always trying to get better unless you have an elite quarterback. Um, but I, I don't know. What do you think, David? I, I mean, if you were, if, if you were the Titans, how would you feel? I would feel like I would need to upgrade a quarterback too. I mean, Ryan Tannehill is not the kind of guy who's going to, you watch those playoff games last yeah. year, Terry, there were quarterbacks making out of this world plays to mm -hmm. win games down the stretch. And Ryan Tannehill doesn't make those kind of plays. I just don't think he does. And he's had some good receivers down there and a great running game. And I, I just wonder how long they're going to stick with him. Cause I don't think he's going to get them there. I just don't probably is. And that's when you're there. Then you say, if not him, who, <laughs> and then I got a, I got a, a, a guy named James Russell sends me a thing says, well, could, the Browns need to bring in a legitimate quarterback to salvage the season. You know, um, who could it be? So I looked at the list of free agents. Boy, that is really talk about Patsy, et cetera. And then, you know, Tums and everything else. Yeah. Well, I'm no expert on the Titans, Terry. I, I would suspect they're going to try for one more year with yeah. this current setup. Next year's quarterback class is amazing. With yeah. Stroud and Bryce Young. And, and those are just the top. Those guys will be in the top three probably. Uh, and it's a really great quarterback class, and I wonder if they would reset if they don't get over over the top. And maybe and maybe they do, and you could you could get something for Tannehill. And the Browns decided to not wait. 
Yeah, because like if you're – so therefore, I mean, think about that. You know, if you're Carolina or Seattle or whatever, Ryan Tannehill will look really good. Um, I mean, had the Browns traded Baker Mayfield for Ryan Tannehill, for example, I think I'd have been okay with that. I would have – not a great upgrade, but I would have viewed it as an upgrade. Um, All right. Hey, Terry, let's take a quick break here. When we okay. come back, we will get into the Cavaliers, who had a busy week when I was off here. They did a lot of things, brought in some really good veteran fits. We can get into that a little bit. We we'll talk about your faith column this week. And, uh, yeah, we got some Hey Terry questions, too, we'll get into, Great. including restaurants in Kansas City. So we'll, uh, we'll get into that. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. All right, we're back on Terry's Talking. For the second half of today's podcast, Terry, hey, there was a few things you were kind of talking about during the break about you wanted to revisit about the the, the Browns Titans right well, comparison, and I, I want to yes. let you kind of have your say here. And he actually, where I think it was a more of a comparison, but it got in a different area was that um, when the Browns of the late '80s wrote about this in Vintage Browns, okay, plug warning, but it's true that you know how Marty Schottenheimer instead of the Bernie taking the fall. Marty Schottenheimer took the fall for not getting to the Super Bowl and then get, getting knocked out early in the playoffs. So you either go after the coach, after the quarterback, or both when you get close but frustrated. And so, and it's always a little danger because then after that, you watch what happened to the Browns. You know, they, uh, they went into the abyss, you know, with Belichick and then no quarterback and Bernie's falling apart. It's, it's always a, a, a difficult thing. And I and look, the Browns swung for the fences with with Deshaun Watson. They're going to get him. They're going to pay whatever it takes to get him. They decided no matter what, you know, Baker's Baker's out. Baker fans, Baker's not coming back. And fans, I expect at some point Baker to be traded, probably to Carolina before training camp starts. They've been working on this stuff forever. You know, I get you know you hear Seattle, but Carolina has been the one that's the most interested. And I expect that to happen. And I'm not saying it's going to happen in the next 10 minutes, maybe not even the next 10 days. But what are, we're on um, we're on July 7th. When's the training camp start? The 27th? Three weeks from today. I bet within two 27th. weeks it's, it's, it's done. I really do. Because if you're, if you're Carolina, you've seen enough of Sam Darnold. And if you're Carolina, you, i got to get Baker in here. And if I could do it for some mid-round draft pick and, you know, that. The one thing I did here, and I was wrong on this, and Mary Kay uh, wrote this early on, that the Browns have no interest in Sam Darnold in that trade coming back. So that part, you know, I because I, I suggested it in that. And they looked at it, and they just, they just don't. They'd rather shop around for somewhere else. But, um, but I'm not predicting, again, this is not saying this thing's happening, you know, overnight or whatever, but that's going to happen. And because pretty much unless you have one of the top seven or eight quarterbacks, you're probably always looking for a better quarterback. That's my point. And then you're probably always looking for a better coach if you get stuck in that, that uh, thing of, and is, you know, you, you kind of feel bad. I mean, Rabel's really done a good job there. I mean, there they go t- 10 and five. 12, I'm sorry, excuse me, 12 and five, and they lose to the Bengals 19 to 16 in the first round. And then you turn around, you look back up, you know, we lost to the team that went to the Super Bowl. That's who knocked us out. And so. By three points. Yeah, by three points. And then they looked the year before, they played the Ravens, they lost 20 to 13. Now, you could look at that and say, in those two games, we couldn't score 20 points. 
so that's always a, you know, there's, there's always a thing there, but I just wish I'm very serious, David. I would want, they haven't had two winning seasons in a row since the late eighties. Can we just underline that? They have not had two winning seasons in a row since the late eighties. It's mind-boggling when you think about it. It's just mind-boggling. <laughs> and we're talking about a team that's had three in a row, you know, and that. Granted, that's frustrating, but this is bad. I'll take good and frustrating over bad with the hope of, okay, maybe do this or that, you know, to, to try and get well, a little we, Yeah, but we, we've heard Kevin Stefanski, you know, when the Browns were in the playoffs a couple of years ago, Kevin Stefanski said he went from we're taking it a game at a time during the regular season to – we're in the playoffs. We can win this whole thing. Yeah. And his his approach is once we get in, we're going for it. And I think sure. that's kind of a microcosm of what the Browns are doing here. They're like, yeah, right. we're close. So, we're in this. We're in contention. We're going to go for it. And right. So that's why the Watson deal happened. And yeah. I think and then the we'll see how, how really it pans out. See, to me, that, that you know, I would, for a variety of reasons, I just didn't like it. I'm not going to re- reiterate, go through them all again. Uh, but I'll tell you, I will go back again. All right, I'm Dre. I, I promised I wouldn't take the Case Keenum horse out of the stall one more time for a ride around the track. But I'll go back there, and I still think they would have won two more games with that guy instead of Baker playing all hurt and banged up. And you might have got in the playoffs, and then you say, we don't know what will happen because you get in the playoffs. Instead, we watched all this stuff with Baker. And, you know, the other thing it did, it just drove Baker's trade value into the ground, too. All right. Three okay. weeks from today is training camp, Terry. And we'll move on to uh, that. Boy, it's hard to believe it's it's already yep. creeping. Three weeks away, it's happening. So, and um, they're, they're, fans are going to be allowed out there, full training camp. So, check all that out on cleveland.com if you're interested in going out. Usually a good time. A lot of autographs and stuff. So, Terry, the Cavaliers have been very busy. Lots of roster changes, and everybody kind of knew they needed to shore up the point guard spot. They started with Darius Garland, gave him a five-year, $191 million max contract. So let's talk about that first, and then we can get into the to the free agents they, they brought in. Um, this deal could be worth $231 million, largest contract in Cavs history. This This had to be done, right? Oh, sure. You, you want to lock him up. Uh, I, I, I equate all this together in one whole approach to the point guard position. You started with Garland. And in fact, you have nobody close to being able to replace him, nor would you want to try and change that position because he's still only 22 going on 23. And his rise has been incredible from he statistically on all his analytics was the worst player in the NBA as a rookie. So he was pretty good as a second year to third year. He made an all-star team. And then they almost wrote him into the ground. Talk about Baker being run on the ground. They're playing him over 38 minutes a game after the all-star break. So they looked at the entire point guard position, said, okay, we're going to lock up Darius, take care of that. Then we got to make sure we got him on a five-year contract for all that money. We have to make sure that we don't play him 38 minutes a game. So we got to get some real depth at that position. That rolled into, all right, we're going to bring Rubio back, but he's had on his second ACL on the same knee, and that probably means he won't be back till December or January. So we're going to put him 
not rush him. And then they brought in um, Raul Neto, who's okay. Kind of like, remember how uh, Jose Calderon was when they brought him in towards the end of his career here? He'll get the ball up the floor. He'll set everybody up. Kind of knows what he's doing. Uh, that kind of guy. So, one, you don't have to play Garland all those minutes. Two, and Rubio doesn't have to rush back. So it was a total approach to that spot where last year, remember they had Rondo, that was terrible. And they had a kid whose name I forgot that they picked up from Atlanta in the G League. And Goodwin was his name, I believe. And, you know, you just, the moment Garlow went out of the game, there's a big drop off. But Rubio was there early on, just the opposite. You know, he played well with Garlow, he played well without him. Um, so I like what they did, the, the whole approach to the position. Yeah. And, and last year you could tell Terry, when, when Rubio was out there, things looked like they ran smoothly. Yeah. And when he went out, they didn't, the ball was sticking. And I think and you've, you've talked to some people about uh, Raul, Raul Nato on this too, that he's not just a plug a guy, you plug in there that he actually makes things run smoothly. He's not just a mm-hmm. guy that the offense can run with him, not through him and, and by yeah, him. I mean, he, the and ball he's, doesn't you know, sit he, with him. Yeah, yeah, he has been, you know, he's been a uh, a starter and coming off the bench. And I, I believe he's, I'm getting his numbers up right now, but I believe he's been in the league for eight years. And so I'm looking here. You know, he's been in the league eight years. He has started 98 games. Um, you know, so I mean, last year, you know, he started uh, well, he started 19 games for the for for uh, Washington. Seven and a half points, shot 46%. Uh, the one thing that fell off, he had been a pretty good, like, three-point shooter before this, almost 37%. He shot only 29%. But, you know, he played 20 minutes a game. Uh, he's just solid. You know, he's – I like him for this kind of uh, a spot. Basically, I had one executive tell me, he goes, he's your ideal third-point guard who could fill in if somebody gets hurt. He goes, but he's not bad for what they're doing. And then you just don't want to rush Rubio back. He's 30 years old. So he's got a lot of experience. Yeah, and the thing, we've talked on this podcast about teams building culture. The, J.B. Bickerstaff wants the offense to run a certain way, and now yes. he's got three guys who can help it run a certain way instead of, all right, well, Rajon Rondo's in there. It's going to have to look like this or whatever. These guys all kind of play the same way. You can't and they just have a bunch of guys going one-on-one. And that happens some, too. That's where they'll have to look at. I just don't see how you – Vert and Sexton on the same team because their styles are similar. Levert's taller, but they both are guys that they can, you know, they can score, but they're not going to really equate with a lot of ball movement. And secondly, if you have a bunch of big guys, I remember Wayne Embry said to me once he said, and Wayne, former NBA center, and then later was the GM of the Cavs. He said, you got to remember the one thing about a big guy. He said, you know, what, you know, unless it's Magic Johnson or somebody like that, you're not just bringing the ball up the court and creating your own shot. You need somebody to throw it to you. And you have to have a coach that has at least half a clue on how to get the ball to your big guys. So if you really want to maximize, I mean, for example, Jared Allen shoots 70% from the field, 70%. Find ways to get him the ball. And he's good at the foul line. He shoots like about 70% there. Uh, and then you saw, too, um, what Mobley can do. And, you know, Markkinen likes to shoot from the outside, but even even he has some post moves. So uh, all this is – I like, by the way, the Brian Bopez. Um, that's a good one. He's a big guy, knocks, knocks around people, you know, kind of fits what they do. And, you know, I'm encouraged. 
I'm not saying it's great, but they're they're nice. That you talk about culture. These were moves that they made that fit for what they're doing. It's not just let's just bring guys and sort through them. And of course, Abaji is a 22 year old. I'm still shocked they took a four year player. I'm so glad they did, but I'm shocked. This goes against all their analytics and everything else. And I think when you're talking in the middle of the first round, look, this guy makes three pointers. He's a high achiever, um, overachiever, I may add, because I did a story with Daniel Robinson, the, the new coach at Cleveland State. And Daniel, for the uh, last, I think, seven years, was in Iowa State, same Big 12 where Abaje was at Kansas. And I said, did you even see him play in high school? I said, I did. He goes, he was just sort of an athlete. You know, he, he didn't see the shooting. He said Kansas kind of took him at the end, almost like it was a uh, – a local guy because he, he was he was from the area there um and he said he said remember they even redshirted him in the beginning of the year and then a bunch of guys got hurt and he worked his way in the lineup he said we were all shocked i looked it up he wasn't rated like a top 100 prospect he wasn't a typical kansas prospect and then he ended up this every year he got better he said the big thing is senior year is he took leadership of that team he says that's what we noticed the big difference um and and he carried them you know, to the national title, not being great, but just overall being good and strong in terms of team culture. Yeah. And Lopez is the same way. Great reputation in the locker room. Yeah. Like you said, they're not just grabbing guys based on their stats and and saying, Oh, we'll plug them in. This is, this is culture. And it's about building a locker room that can travel together, play together, win together. So. Yeah. As opposed to like what I'm so I'm, by the way, I'm very amused on watching the Brooklyn Nets. Just, dismantle themselves um and i'm writing a column about this for later in the week you like this but one of the things the nets did in their desperation remember was they traded for james harden and all this and kobe altman got the calves in that deal and that deal which was they traded that uh dante exum and a first round pick from milwaukee and they picked up jared allen and they picked up Terry and Prince, who they turned into Ricky Rubio. Thank you, Brooklyn. One of the deals of the last five years. Yeah. In the whole league. So, Terry, real quick, um, if you were mentioning how Lavert or Sexton won't be around probably next season, if you have to pick one of those guys, who are you? Who are you keeping? And why? I'm hesitating because I guess it depends on the cost. I'm just kind of looking at it for this upcoming year on Sexton. I would just offer him the, um, uh, the qualifying offer of like 7.8 million or whatever that is, you know, Levert's making like 18 million this year. Uh, I would, I would have been interested in trying to trade him like for Mike Conley or somebody like that, you know, from Utah. I don't know if they offered that or they might have, it just didn't get anywhere. Um, but they're both going to be, you know, free agents a year from now. Uh, either way, you know, you're coming off the bench, especially for Sexton. Sexton Garland thing is not good together, but Sexton off the bench for 20 minutes or so, I think could could be useful. But I still think they could end up making maybe making a, a sign and trade with Sexton at some point. So that's the problem. It's not just player versus player. You got money involved and that kind of stuff. Levert struggled with the Cavs last year, but I do like the fact he has some size. I think he could defend some. Uh, he might be better this this time around. He's been a productive player. By the way, he was in that trade too, that Harden trade. He Brooklyn traded him. I mean, it's it's, it's a crazy thing to look back at all of that. So they end up with the with those guys from that deal. 
All right, and Sexton uh, did get a qualifying offer last week, if I remember. Yes. And so the paperwork's all been done on that. So, all right, Terry, let's get into your faith column a little bit. Uh, you received an email from a guy you're calling Ed. That's not his real name. And he, he wrote to you about his wife who has uh, a brain injury. And he wrote to you about the struggles he has uh, just on a day-to-day basis, taking care of her, communicating with her. And your, your faith column, which will be on cleveland.com Saturday and in the Plain Dealer on Sunday this week, gets into kind of working your way through that when you're a caregiver and kind of finding moments in that. Why don't you talk yeah, about that column it, it, a It's bit a challenge there. for anybody who's been in a, a caregiving situation. And, and I've been that, that with my father and it's to a lesser extent now with uh, my mom, the African-American lady, Melva Hardison, who's 96. And uh, you know, you go up and down with that stuff. And, and sometimes you just feel like I am just so tired of, of doing this. And the difficult thing for Ed is that his wife has uh, aphasia, short-term memory and communication problems, uh, saying the wrong words and just the frustrations people go through. And I know that a, a significant part of our audience is involved in this, you know, elder care or the sandwich generation. They have someone older, and then they have kids, too, that they're dealing with. So I just kind of wanted to bring that out. And also let caregivers know sometimes you're tired, you're frustrated, don't beat yourself up. You can't always – I say oftentimes the question comes to you on a, in a caregiving thing. We'll see. If I pick this, A, that's bad. B, that's not very good at all. C, I doubt that'll work. Or D, do nothing. I mean, that's sometimes how you feel um, in that. And you, there aren't good choices. And you're just kind of, as I, Psalm 23 says, though I walk through the shadow of valley of death, I will fear no evil because you walk with me. Everybody's going through that shadow of the valley and there will be doubts during that time. So that's a lot of what I wrote about. Yeah, I really loved how, as you came to terms with kind of helping your father through this yeah. time, you started to appreciate some moments like watching a sunset. I think yeah. you read about how you were, you were on a pier with him watching a sunset and you, you, you kind of. It, it kind of was like a piece seems like it settled over you. Is that a good way to put it? You yeah, you start to, to find the things the you can do, you know, because yeah. we so dwell on what we can't. Because um, my dad was down in Florida and we had home health care there set up. My brother was helping some. And then I would go down every month for three to five days and give everybody time off and take them. And like he liked to go to the airport. We put him in the wheelchair. He had a stroke and, and that and just kind of go down the airport, Sarasota airport, which is kind of a cool smaller airport and get some ice cream and watch the planes and the people go to the mall sometimes go out to one of the docks which is uh, handicap accessible you know find things like that along watching games you do what you can but it's like it is it is really david it's tough if you haven't been there i mean this guy was a strong you know he played minor league baseball for a year world war ii worked in the warehouse and there he is with the stroke unable to talk it, it does break your heart but you'd also just find good moments. And, and that's, the, that's the way to get through it. All right. Be sure to read that this weekend. Uh, definitely worth your time. So, all right. We have some Hey Terry questions. You ready? Yes. This one is from Bruce in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He says, Hey Terry, I'm planning a baseball trip to Kansas City in September to watch the Guardians and the Royals. I know Kansas City is known for steak, my favorite meal. Can you recommend a favorite restaurant of yours out there? Maybe ask Coinsy. Well, Since he probably travels more than you. Yes, a lot more. And he has been there a lot. I mentioned Arthur Bryant's, the rib place, but you said you got some from Hoynes. So let's yeah, defer so, to Paul. Yeah, so I, I did uh, shoot Hoynesy a note on this. And so Bruce, he says that the he's not been to a ton of steak places, but he loves to go to barbecue places out there. 
He says Q39 is one he goes to, and it's in an old gas station. Okay. He also talked about Arthur Bryant's, which you just mentioned, Terry, and also Joe's and Gates. Gates Barbecue is famous. Gates is really good. Yeah, yeah. That, I was trying when you mentioned that before. That's who. In fact, I like Gates better than Arthur Bryant. I have not been there that lately. I mean, when I'm going to do a football trip, I fly in on Saturday to Kansas City. I go to church Saturday night somewhere. Frankly, just grab some takeout, eat it at home next morning, you know, have breakfast and then go on to uh, – uh, so, you know, we just kind of go from there. All right. Uh, this one's from Jack and Erie, a longtime faithful listener. He says, hey, Terry, last week you mentioned the Guardians have no intention of making a move at catcher because they love the way their guys, quote, handle the staff. My question, Why? This is a veteran staff. They're adults, and they're not knuckleball pitchers, and it's not like they've been the 95 Braves this season anyway if the team was worried about upsetting things. It's not like any of the Cleveland catchers have the defensive ability of Sandy. Why not go out and get a catcher who isn't a black hole in the lineup and can do a comparable job behind the plate? So, Terry, Luke Maley batting 167 in 30 games. (laughs) He's got nine walks and 22 strikeouts. Hedges, 160 in 49 games, 10 mm-hmm. walks, 40 strikeouts. And Sandy Leon is batting 091 in seven games. Yeah, but he's pitching. But he is pitching. So there's yes. that. <laughs> so All right. It's not easy to find a catcher, but these numbers are not good. They're terrible. But the reason is this. Remember, this is a what are the, what are they about young players? Bo Naylor, brother of Josh, right now is hitting – 282 between double A and triple A at he's just moved up to triple A Columbus. He's hitting 326. You know, he was the number one pick. He is the catcher of like 23 and maybe he is the catcher of 22 after the all-star break. That's why I just think they figured we'd wait to see, you know, I'm looking at how about this? He is throwing out. 37% 37% of stealing base runners this year for his career is 35. Um, you know, he's a guy that uh, he's only, now he's only 22. So I believe that's really why they ha- are to say, we'll just kind of slog through with the guys we have. And then Naylor is going to be our guy. Cause this year, remember it's a lot about finding out about players or setting them up to get experience this year to roll into 23. All right. But, you know, you know, we, we talked about Miles Straw earlier, Terry. You have somebody who's who's struggling like him at the at the top half of the lineup and then a, a catcher who's batting these numbers at the bottom. Uh, that makes for a rough go someday. Yeah, you're, you're, you're paying the price on all this right now. The yeah. last time I looked, I mean, the average major league catcher was hitting 216. So it wasn't like this is a position there's a lot of power or punch going on. Um, I mean, you know, if you go back, you know, the guy that um, the uh, Guardians had and they just let him go is Haas, who's with the Tigers now. Now, he wasn't as good defensively, Eric Haas, as uh, some of their guys. But, you know, since he's gone to Detroit, you know, he is with the Tigers now. He is, has 543 at-bats. He said 29 homers, 83 RBIs, best 228. You know, that's a guy that uh, they did have here. Uh, and they just they just got him kind of stuck behind uh, uh, oh Roberto Perez and Hedges. 
So they, they, they lost him. He became a minor league free agent. He signed elsewhere. I'm looking. He's throwing out 28% of the base runners, which isn't too bad. So uh, that was a catcher they had that they probably wish they had kept. All right. Um, let's see here, Terry. We got one from Rudy W. And you were talking about Mayfield earlier. He'll, he has some points to make on Mayfield. Perhaps the reason Mayfield has not been traded is because if or when Watson gets suspended for all or most of the year, Mayfield becomes worth much more than a fifth round draft pick to the Browns. Having Mayfield for 2022 is a win, a win for the Browns and Mayfield for these reasons. Number one, if Brissett flounders or gets injured, we have a legitimate backup. Number two, not jeopardizing a Super Bowl caliber roster in 2022. Number three, Mayfield could enhance his trade value and or free agency value to himself and the team. Number four, fans and players would appreciate a temporary reconciliation. Number five, a healthy Mayfield with two capable offensive tackles. Not having his left arm strapped to his side would be better, would be better than last year. Let them compete and play the best player. I think he's talking about Brissett and, and Mayfield there. The objective here is to simply win games. This ship has sailed, has it not, Terry? Yes. Then number six, he's going to get traded. <laughs> That's what I believe. So I just yeah. think they've been they've been working on this forever. Uh, there's been too much smoke, and I just think he's going to get traded. And I bringing just, him back is not a good idea. Wouldn't you should if you're going to do that? You should have brought him into your uh, rookie camps and all that. I mean, when you tell a guy under contract, "No, we don't want you. Stay home." You know, it's different than what the other positions. Like if you're a receiver, even or uh, this is a guy that you have to get other players to follow you. I mean, a lot of guys will tell you, and different. You know, boy, that that receiver, he's a diva. I don't particularly like him, but you know, he catches balls, and I don't really have to deal with him. But everybody's got an offense has to deal with the quarterback, and the quarterback has to deal with the coaches. And Baker needs out of here. They need to come up, but they got to do. So I'll tell you one thing: they better they trade Baker. They better get somebody else like Joshua Dobbs. You can't do that as your backup to Jacoby Brissett. You cannot do that. If your object is to win, and I'm with him on that, you got to do better than Joshua Dobbs. All right, Terry, last one here, and this is from Kathleen Thompson, longtime listener. Yeah. Oh, I kind of asked you this question before, but this is specifically about Sexton. He says, what are your thoughts on Colin Sexton? Do you think he'll be with the Cavs this upcoming season? I mean, if we take Levert out of the equation, if it's just Sexton, you think he'll be around? Yeah, I keep going back and forth on that. Boy, it's a bad answer. But I'm I'm saying that they end up working a sign and trade with him somewhere. But it might not be that what they like, you know, what Sexton wants. Uh, uh, our excellent basketball writer, Chris Fedor, says Sexton wants $20 million. Oh, my goodness. You know, that's a, you and I want hair, too. <laughs> I mean, that's one of those. That is a big we number. We can want all you want, but we shall see. Uh, I would like to have seen Sexton play because remember it was very odd to me, David, how he plays 11 games has a meniscus tear. Remember? And then usually that's not a season ending injury. And right away they ruled him out for the whole year and that. So, and Sexton's a hard worker and all that, all those things. So I'm not faulting Sexton or whatever. I just got to wonder how that knee really is. Yeah. He's, you wonder if it was the team healthy. that, yeah, was the team kind of taking it slow, or was yeah. it Sexton's camp kind of yeah, not wanting to I don't risk know. anything going into the yeah, offseason? I don't know. That was a bit weird. Yeah. But if I were to guess, um, I think they, they met in a um, – well, they're going to move here, Levert. I just really believe that um, by opening day. May go to training camp, but see, we shall see. All right. 
All right, Terry, that's going to do it. Thanks to everybody for uh, sending in your questions. If you want to send us a question for next week's podcast, you can send an email to sports at cleveland.com and put, hey, Terry, or Terry's talking in the subject line. We'll try and get it on next week's podcast. You can also find Terry on his Facebook page and send him a question there. So any final thoughts, Terry? That is it. I mean, we covered a lot of ground, including restaurants in Kansas City. (laughs) We did. All right, everybody, have a great week. I hope you enjoyed the fourth, and uh, we will talk to you next week on Terry's Talk.